0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mind Buddy Greens Beauty Podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Buddy Greens Beauty Director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we explore beauty through the lens of well-being. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about skin that is good enough. And this is a concept that I... I'm so excited to dive into the ethos behind it, um, because it is—it it is a concept that just aligns so well with my own, you know, personal point of view on skin. Um, and to do so, I'm have, having on uh, board-certified dermatologist, Dr. Karen Campbell. She, if you follow her on Instagram or TikTok or any of the socials, you will know that she has this concept uh, where, you know, skin is is good enough. And I'll let her explain what she means by this, um, but I, I'm so excited to have her on and kind of dive in to into this broader conversation. So Welcome. Yes, thank you so
1: much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this. This concept is very important to me.
0: Well, I am so excited too. But before we get into that, I I want to hear um, a little bit about your story and your journey into medicine, um, more specifically dermatology. Of course, uh, you know what what's your background and why what 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 drew you to the field? Thank you for asking. So um, it's really important to me that my
1: life have meaning, whether that be inside or outside of work. And medicine is obviously a very clear-cut, obvious way to give back and help people. I think it's kind of the whole reason we're here on Earth, right, is to, to give back. Um, and so for me, it wasn't always like this obvious thing that I was going to do with my life. Um, I didn't know since I was a little kid that I was going to be a doctor. It was more of a quiet whisper and sort of I did keep getting guided there. Um, I frankly, I think kind of tried to fight it at different points of my life, which is a common theme for me. But um, I grew up the daughter of two military officers. Um, My father was actually a prisoner of war in Vietnam for seven years, and then was a stay at home dad with me growing up. And so integrity, hard work, purpose, like all of these things were instilled by both of them. But medicine wasn't yet the obvious choice. Um, My dad, though, when I was a bit older, started to suffer from a condition called Lynch syndrome, which a subset of that is called Mirtori, which is a genetic condition where your DNA can't actually fix itself. So over time, slowly mutations accumulate, and it leads to internal malignancies. And then it was really interesting to see that when those would be occurring, a skin growth would typically appear. So that's kind of the first entree, I got into like, wow, what we have on the outside is really just a representation of what's going on on the inside. And so that's when I started to be intrigued by dermatology and develop a relationship with my dad's dermatologist at the time. And then I also suffered from skin conditions growing up. So acne in particular, which I know a lot of people can relate to. And I was on Accutane twice growing up. So um, and I got to see how kind of one dermatologist um, was just sort of willing to prescribe it without a lot of counseling um, and sort of how that process went versus um, the second time I did it, like lots of handholding, lots of counseling, having it be just more um, of a personalized visit with that same dermatologist that treated my father. So I actually ended up shadowing him in high school because I was lucky enough to kind of be academically inclined and like different things like math and you know also science and English so I frankly like didn't really know what I wanted to do entering (laughs) undergrad um so I sort of majored in both business and pre-med and then sort of went down the business route but then found myself two years into working in consulting feeling that whisper of like wanting to bring more meaning into my life Um, so found my way back to medicine. Like did a post back, took all my pre med classes after you know working in consulting for two years, and then here I
0: am. <laughs> I mean, I I'm uh, yeah, I'm so impressed. That is such a big decision after being in the workforce to to decide to go back. Were you scared? Were you? I mean, obviously you felt passionate about it, so there was like this fire inside of you. But I can imagine it's such an intimidating decision. Yeah. I mean, I think
1: a lot of people are facing that with the pandemic, right? Like a lot of people put their lives in upheaval and sort of wanted to do things a different way. And that's just kind of how I was raised. Like if if it's not a resounding yes, then it's a H-E double hockey six no, right? So um, it wasn't working for me. And I felt a calling to move towards something else. And I think again, for me, like meaning the journey, the process, like grow or die. So whenever something's calling to me, just like moving towards it. It's a really good life lesson.
0: Yeah. You know, you talked briefly about um, how you had your own skin concerns growing up and, you know, your own journey with your own skin. So, you know, were you, did that help foster your interest in skincare? Like, were you somebody who was kind of Skincare obsessed because I asked this because I also had acne growing up and it made me a total skincare junkie from the time I was like thirteen and you know now look at me so <laughs> it's interesting because um,
1: I'm probably a bit older than you but um, not by much I can't <laughs> imagine <laughs> I don't think we were skincare obsessed it's like there was Clinique and there was kind of nothing else so I certainly recognize that. Um, the way we show up, whether that be how you dress or, you know, how you do your hair, like that impacts how you behave and how other people behave towards you. And so skincare was always part of that. But no, I was never obsessed. It was very interesting. And even when I went into rheumatology, I never sort of sought out the cosmetic route. I was more interested in the medical, you know, given my dad's medical history so yeah, it 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 is this funny circuitous path I would have never predict
0: predicted. If that's yeah, that is really interesting. I am. Um, I want to ask now that you know you you have your practice, do you have a you know beauty, well-being philosophy that you that you live by? Um, you know, kind of like your guiding light.
1: So that's where good enough came in. Um You know, I just remember in medical school, getting my manicures and pedicures, and the second you get a chip in the nail, you're like staring at the chip, and it's all you can see. And our brains are wired, right, to always see the imperfection, Um, because it's what kept us safe. When we were animals living in the wild, we needed to not mistake the branch for, you know, or excuse me, not mistake the branch for a snake, right? Like you need to avoid the snake. So we're always on guard, always kind of like scanning our environments. Um, And when things feel out of control, like with the pandemic, or like the stress of medical school, you're gonna control the things you can. So that at that time was my perfect manicures, right? Or for a lot of people now, it's like your perfect skin, that like airbrush look that's being like fed to us by social media and um, reality TV, You know, and in reality, those people are using filters on the cameras of the reality TV show. They're getting hair and makeup done for two, three hours before every episode. Um, You know, is that really attainable? No. I mean, it's like that consumerist culture of like never enough, buy more products. Um, So, my beauty philosophy and any philosophy with life is like, is it better? Are we moving towards good? Is it good enough? Because perfection is this unattainable. Um, nirvana that you're never going to get to that's just going to keep you feeling empty because it's you can't get there
0: yeah and and this message is you know why I reached out to you because I I love it so much and like I said I think it um it echoes so much of what I try to talk about um you know within my own work and I want to talk about why it feels important that this this good enough message is shared now like what was happening in the zeitgeist that you identified that you were like, okay, we, we need to reframe the conversation. Good enough is great. You know, like at, at what point where you're just like, okay, enough is enough.
1: Um, I see it in my own life, but obviously professionally, I'm seeing it in my office, you know, young girls coming in, things look dramatically better um, and they just can't see it, um, it's why it's really important when you do practice cosmetic dermatology. They always um, advise you to take before and after photos, because there's a you know a concept of drift where once you fix one thing, a patient might move on to the other, or they literally can't even see the improvement. Um, and frankly, it's sad to see because they do look so wonderful. They looked wonderful before. I mean, oftentimes I even have patients coming in wanting me to correct things, right? I need to say no because in my opinion, you know, I'm still a physician first and foremost and do no harm. I would be doing harm if I were to give them the treatment that they're asking for. They're not going to look aesthetically pleasing or balanced. Um, But Yeah, I mean, just it was like painful as a physician, first and foremost, which was my intention was to never really do cosmetics. It's just something that sort of I I was led to um, uh, unexpectedly. But yeah, it was just so sad to see that these young women couldn't see themselves clearly. And until they like, Worked on what was going on on the inside. The outside was never going to be good enough, um, no matter what skincare product, no matter what treatment you have on your face. If you don't feel good on the inside, then it's not going to look right on the outside. Um, but you know, the flip side of that is someone who's also doing the internal work. You know, that little boost of doing something on the outside can also help facilitate what's going on on the inside. So I don't mean to poo-poo my own profession. I think that there's a great importance. And taking care of both, it's just part of like, an overall wellness plan, just like you floss your teeth, nobody's going to shame you for that. So why people shame people for taking care of their skin in whatever way that they need to is is um, concerning to me as well.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. It is this balance here, right? Where it is good, ultimately, to take care of yourself and to take care of your skin. And it's it's not vain. But, you know, when you take it to the extreme, then, of course, it becomes an issue in its own way. And I, you know, you mentioned that you have patients... Come in, and you know you had seen this broader trend of people never feeling like they were good enough, or maybe they weren't seeing a clear vision of themselves. And I think that's really interesting. And I I think that's something that I I even see with my own like friends and acquaintances and people that I talk to is you know they'll talk to me and be like oh I have this I have that I have this, and from an outsider's perspective, I'm like. I don't see what you're talking about. Like, to me, I just see a my beautiful friend who has great skin or great hair or whatever it is. And how do you talk to people who are convinced that they have an issue into understanding that perhaps they're seeing it in a much different light than, than everybody else is?
1: Well, if it's after a treatment, I think the before and after photos are really important, not from a defensive like, no, look how good this work is. It's more, they really then do see it. I mean, which is amazing and helpful to them. Um, and potentially can also start unlocking that door to like, oh, wow, maybe I need to do a little work on the inside so that I can see myself more clearly. Um, so that can be helpful. Um, you know, when a patient comes in, uh and a and treatment hasn't been done, and I may be needing to say no. Um, you know, it's it's one understanding that um, they might go somewhere else, who's going to give them what they want. But there are those patients who are also open to having a real discussion and um, maybe potentially pursuing like a podcast or a book or. Um, I've had some patients attend, you know, I talk a lot about the Hoffman process, which is a really great um, week-long retreat that a a large number of my patients, frankly, have gone to and then found it to be really impactful at helping kind of move the needle towards self-love. What is it? Um, It's a week-long retreat that works on sort of um, like what's in the zeitgeist right now, a lot of the childhood patterns and trauma and how do you sort of move past what's been like programmed in you from mom and dad and sort of step into what feels like authentically you. Okay. Yeah. It helps you kind of see what might be holding you back from loving yourself,
0: frankly. Sure. I also think an interesting part of this discussion comes back to like self improvement culture. Um, and, you know, that's something that I, I struggle with a little bit because I, I think self-improvement is a good thing and I think it's there's a lot of value in working on yourself and you know I I definitely like live in that world where you know we do talk a lot about self-improvement and but there's also like the flip side to it right where you know should we always constantly forever be thinking about how to improve ourselves and I wonder if like that element is playing in to what we're seeing about people never feeling like they're good enough. Do you do you see that within your own practice? Because I'm sure you probably get a lot of patients who are very ambitious, type A sort of people who are probably constantly trying to better themselves, to be honest.
1: Yeah. I mean, I live in San Fran. I mean, I practice in San Francisco. That's my main practice with the little satellite office in Napa. And obviously, this is kind of the, the hub um for kind of perfectionist type a culture youth obsessed tech industry um, so so yes um and in it's it's again like you're never going to have the biggest house here i mean there are billionaires on every corner here so it's easy to feel like you're never going to measure up it's never going to be enough you need to do more 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 you need to find found a company um, it's, it's, it's definitely a difficult soup to be swimming in. Um, even for me, I mean, I'm a type A perfectionist type. That's how I made my way to this career. Um, but it's, it's important the community you surround yourself with so that you're able to kind of see yourself clearly. And yeah. And
0: then another piece of this too, uh, is I think the trend cycle, that i think anybody in beauty tends to get stuck in um myself included um and what i mean by the trend cycle is you know this this constant like tornado of trends that we see on tiktok and instagram and the media um you know constantly saying oh have you heard of this skincare trick? Have you heard of this product? Have you heard of this buzzy new ingredient, you know, and all this stuff. And I, you know, I'm curious about how, how one you kind of cut through the noise of the, you know, trend culture and, you know, to how you talk to people about maybe, you know, uh, Pulling themselves out of it because there's, it feels like there's always something that you should be trying that's brand new and buzzy, you know?
1: Yeah, it's like that culture of should, 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 we're shooting all over ourselves, right? Um, yeah, and the consumerist culture of America, because um, companies want you to buy more, you know, industry wants you to consume more so they can sell more product. But, you know, my practice is set up in such a way and I've moved towards it that I treat very few patients only a couple times a week, because frankly, my nervous system and sort of the care that I want to deliver to patients, you know, requires me to only see a couple patients a day so I can do my very best. So um, things that are tried and true, you know, Fraxel has been around since 2004, Botox has been around since 1989, B-beam has been around since 1984. I mean, those are my three probably most popular treatments. I mean, that's 20 plus years of evidence. So newer isn't always better. Um, quick, It's the whole thing of like, there is no quick fix. So only bringing in things that are evidence-based that have shown over time um, to be effective. Like I'm never super excited to adopt a new treatment like Quo is a great example, um, like a lot of these companies are, it was for cellulite. Um, and a lot of these companies are sort of trying to do these um, status driven, you know, tiered rollouts where we're only giving this to the best and the brightest dermatologists and plastic surgeons in the country. And I've, I've frankly noticed a trend with that, that oftentimes, like Quo, for example, the product ended up not being as great as they had endorsed it to be. Um, it it left significant bruising behind in the areas where the cellulite was being treated. And then that bruising left staining because there's iron in the blood that seeps out after the injections. And then you have to have that treated. So it's, you know, new isn't always better. You can create new problems that maybe we didn't even know existed. So my advice is go to somebody who knows their stuff isn't trying to sell you the latest and greatest. Like I want long-term patients with results that they love um, that keep coming back. And, you know, in order to get patients to keep coming back and to want to build a long-term relationship with you, you have to have given them a treatment that they're happy with. Right. So um, yeah, I wouldn't go to the place with like the best marketing or the newest thing, um, and obviously social media and sort of our industry in general has kind of moved the industry that way is like, which dermatologist has the most followers? Um, you know, sometimes I, I struggle with like engaging and then disengaging with social media because, um, I feel pressured to kind of, um, do it because of our industry. And so, um, That might be a long-winded answer for just stick with the things that have good science and have been around for a long time.
0: No, it is really interesting. And I think I'm always interested in how people, uh, how dermatologists approach their work um, with folks Um, and, and especially you, because, you know, you come at this from a point of view of, you know, good enough skin. So how do you, let's say you get a new patient who comes in myself, for example, like how, how do you start that process of figuring out what's right for them? You know, how would you, how would you talk to me about, you know, what sort of actionable steps I should be taking? Um, you know, because you're somebody who's not, jumping immediately to the trendy new technology or immediately jumping into, okay, let's put filler here, there and everywhere, you know? That's a really great question. Um,
1: So for me, you know, consults are required because I want to sort of make sure it's a good fit for both of us. Again, it's the whole idea is a long-term relationship. And so when a patient comes in, you know, I sort of have my staff obviously collect the things that are bothering them, I go in, you know, I hand them a mirror, and I have them kind of, okay, what brings you in today? And I have them tell me what's bothering them. And then we go through the various things that can address what's concerning them. So if it's, you know, 11s, the wrinkles between your eyebrows, um, we're going to discuss Botox. If there's not a comfort with Botox, then maybe we're going to discuss like microneedling or lasers. If a patient's concerned about redness. Um, we're going to discuss skincare, we're going to discuss laser, but I never um, point out issues on a patient's face, which sometimes I do get in a little bit of a power struggle with patients because they want me to, t- to do that. They want me to tell them, quote unquote, what's, what's wrong with their face. Um and i'm always very hesitant to do that because you might be pointing something out that the patient wasn't even bothered by and now you've created a new issue um and you're frankly like quote unquote doing them harm which again as a physician it's first do you no know, harm so it is this very fine line to walk because you also obviously want to enhance someone's appearance cosmetically and if there is this glaring issue like oftentimes a weak chin um is something that I'm bringing up that a patient isn't really pointing out. But frankly, oftentimes I sort of get a sense of that's actually what's kind of bothering them. They just didn't know how to put, you know, a name to it because it'll be like texture on the chin um, or feeling jowly um, or like sagging around the mouth, the skin around the chin um, and mouth. And so oftentimes putting filler in the chin to kind of build that up. So things aesthetically look better. Um, but again, like having the patient sort of guide you and then giving them solutions based on what bothers them is important.
0: Yeah. And then, you know, when, when you kind of identify some problems, let's, Let's chat about solutions. um, You know that you're working with folks on. Um, You know you mentioned the Elevens, and I think that's something that uh, I hear a lot about. I know a lot of people have concerns about it. You know you you mentioned Botox. What are you doing with with Botox in particular to address those? So um, I tend
1: to do more disport in my practice. Um, Obviously, we call all wrinkle relaxers Botox because it was first to market, Um, but one of their competitors is Disport. The reason I prefer it is it tends to kick in faster and last longer for the average patient. Um, it has a greater area of diffusion. I mean, all but the meaning how far it spreads from where you inject it. But those things are also impacted by like how much fluid you dilute it with. Um, but that being said, on average, if you're sort of diluting Botox and dysport similarly, then you're going to get more spread with dysport, which in younger foreheads, you tend to get a more even sort of look that patients are happy with. Um, that's obviously a very popular treatment for the 11s, for the horizontal forehead lines, for crow's feet. Um, and then more recently during the pandemic, especially with the mask wearing, I saw an exponential increase in like clenching, grinding. Um, so being able to provide patients some relief by injecting what are called the masseters, which, you know, if you kind of put your hands on the sides um, of your face, like below your cheek, and you break down really hard, you feel the bulges of those muscles. Um, you know, and patients sometimes don't even know how much like pain and discomfort they're, they're in until you inject those muscles. Um, and then it, it is interesting, kind of like, putting it in areas of like the neck, the trapezius um, kind of that, again, that mind body connection. that's so important. Like we do house trauma and stress um, in our bodies. So being able to inject recall relaxers in that area um, has been really helpful
0: and on the rise (laughs) with post pandemic. That's really interesting um, making that connection between, you know, holding tension in certain areas and being able to use uh, muscle relaxers in in this way. Tell me more about that. Like, what is your process in identifying that that might be an issue? And then, you know, what should people know about that? Because I've had a lot of people ask me lately about, you know, holding tension in their jaw and like what sort of, you know, facial massages they should do, et cetera, et cetera. So clearly it's something that's on people's minds.
1: Well, so I practice in a building called 450 Sutter and they used to refer to it as 450 Suffer. Because it was a building full of dentists, so I have obviously a built-in referral source um, for from you know dentists who are noticing patients who are cracking teeth, um, clenching, grinding. I mean, so sometimes that's the first point of contact. Is if your dentist mentions it, and I've had a few patients even say that their dentists have mentioned it, but then never mentioned Botox. So something to think about. Even if maybe your dentist didn't mention it, but made you a night, night guard. Um, oftentimes you'll also see facial changes. So again, that's another thing that oftentimes I will point out to a patient, even if they're not bringing it up because they don't sort of know how to even, um, sort of name what's bothering them. But if you feel like your jawline's more masculinized or squared off, or your face just looks quote unquote fatter or fuller, it's because you're, you know, when you clench and you grind you're working that muscle out. So it's like you're going to the gym and you're lifting a weight and it's going to get bigger and bulkier. And the idea is if you inject some Botox in it, it's, you know, you don't want to take all of the ability to lift the weight away because you need to still be able to chew and function in daily life. But I'm trying to inject it and tell it to lift a a lighter weight. But so you'll, you'll, some patients notice pain, but other patients don't even, again, know they're in pain until you've injected the relaxer Um, so, you know, cracking teeth, um, not being able to open your mouth as wide, waking up with headaches, um, or pain in the muscles or jaw. Um, you know, and again, I'm sometimes injecting like trapezius muscles and you can see aesthetically the enlargement of the muscles, but also just chronic pain in that area. I mean, I'm someone who gets routine massages because that's where I like to carry all of my stress and tension. Um, so injecting. You know, discord in there has been really helpful for me personally. Um, I have patients who get a lot of um, migraine headaches, and they're able to kind of identify exactly where it's originating from, like in the neck or the scalp um, or the temporal muscles, which are kind of up here above your your earlobes and your kind of scalp. And when you bite down really hard, you can feel them bulge out. And if you notice that that's where headaches are originating from or pain, you know, we can inject in those areas. So I'll be excited to see, you know, if it becomes more and more common to even use it in other areas of the body.
0: Yeah. You know, um, I mean, like I said, I, I feel like I get questions all the time of people, you know, looking for, you know, various solutions um, on relieving tension in, in their face. You know, I think we do hold a lot of tension in our faces. Um, and I think it's like, I know this sounds silly to say, but I think sometimes we forget that our face has so many muscles and those muscles are in use a lot. Um, And, you know, we tend to think of like our muscles only, you know, in terms of working out or what have you, but, you know, our face, facial muscles, they get a huge workout too. And, you know, sometimes they, sometimes they get tired, sometimes they get sore. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's cute.
1: I mean, I had A patient who, you know, San Francisco is, um, you know, a more holistic culture, which I think, you know, is good. Um, But a patient who felt like she would never get Botox um, because of the taboo around it. Um, And frankly, she decided to go ahead and get it. And she was frustrated that she'd waited so long because she noticed the impact it had on her son, that she felt like he was responding, like she looked less angry. Oh Wow less upset with him. I mean, there's, um, there's been clinical trials that show obviously patients moods can improve with the use of Botox. They feel less depressed. So again, I think it's a really interesting thing to explore, um, relaxing some of these facial muscles that we use when we're having a negative experience, whether that be like the frown muscles, kind of on the lateral or edges of the chin or the angry 11s, which we all know.
0: Yeah, I think it is really interesting. And I think it's an interesting conversation to have about like the balance of it too, because, you know, it, obviously we're all about balance and, <laughs> you know, you definitely don't want to go overboard in the other way where it's like your face becomes like wax-like and immobile. But I do think that there is a lot of benefit with retraining your muscles in your face in a way with these options. So, yeah, you know, I definitely think it's it's interesting. Do you, I mean, you know, living in California, I'm curious about this, like, do you find that it's really easy for folks to go overboard with this sort of stuff? And like, at what point do you get nervous that somebody, you know, might be teetering that line?
1: Well, it's interesting because San Francisco is this unusual bubble where people, frankly, don't want to look like they've had work done. So while cosmetic treatments are um, more common on the coasts, you know, and particularly in California, it's which is what makes it frankly, the the best place for me to practice, because I have, again, a willing enough patient population to want to do cosmetic procedures, um, because of kind of the youth obsessed tech industry, and also just people wanting to optimize in general. So again, just like people meditate and work out and eat healthy here, it's oftentimes just part of a self care routine. Um, but it is nice for me personally, as the person treating, um, this patient population that they, they want to look like they've not had work done. So on the one hand, it it definitely required like a different level of skill because it's actually very hard to have people look like they haven't had work done. But for me, it's more personally fulfilling, um, to sort of keep someone either looking the same and like themselves just rested or kind of restoring, Volume after you know pregnancy and breastfeeding, or just enhancing what's already there. Because I am treating some younger patients where it's not just maintenance; um, it is more of an enhancement.
0: Yeah, you know it's interesting. I think there's a comparison with like no makeup. Makeup is notoriously like very challenging. Like any makeup artist will tell you, like no, no makeup. Makeup is much harder than doing a full glam look. Uh, clearly, there's some overlap there with trying to do no work. Work. <laughs>
1: I'm going to steal that
0: analogy.
1: It's very good. It's Thank
0: all yours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, you know, we've talked about, um, disport. We've, you know, we've mentioned some, you know, other options like filler in the chin. I want to know what are some cool in-office technologies that do excite you? Obviously we've mentioned, uh, one that didn't, <laughs> And, you know, you are somebody who is, uh, you know, perhaps a little bit more apprehensive about, you know, jumping straight to the brand new technology. But I'm sure there's stuff in office treatments and in office technology that, you know, do pique your interest. Are there any that, you know, you're utilizing right now? Well, I might not be an early adopter for my
1: patients. I'm always willing to give them a whirl on myself (laughs) and obviously always want to stay up to date. So I don't poo-poo everything new, but it's also using what's tried and true in new ways. So um, I've definitely started using more hyper dilute, meaning you put more um, sort of saline in it um, to dilute it. So it's less potent Um, Botox for rosacea, and pores, skin texture, and even maybe exploring it a little bit for acne, though I don't think it's a great long term fix, but maybe in the Short term for folks. Um, it's been really because I have rosacea yeah. and now I'm curious. So I, I definitely have a subset of patients where I've kind of thrown the kitchen sink at them. You know, V Beam, which is a laser, pulse dye laser, which we talked about has been around since the 80s. It oftentimes works for people. You know, different topicals kind of work okay. Sometimes if you combine them, they work great. You know, so we've tried everything, and then we move on to 20 units of over-diluted Botox, you know, um, and it's hugely impactful, and it lasts about four months. So you just do tiny little micro-injections across the nose, cheeks, chin. I mean, you can also just do the affected areas. I had a gentleman come in um, who was very bothered by his enlarged pores on his, you know, central cheek and nose, and we did some hyper Botox, and it's been wonderful, um, you know, obviously, it can be used for like excess sweating as well. Um, so people have used it to prolong, you know, blowouts or feeling like they have greasy scalp. Or I have professional musicians who obviously sweating is an issue on stage, and so you know, um, being mindful of the cosmetic outcome of it, along with like helping with these medical things, um, has been has been really.
0: Yeah. No, that's really fascinating. You should come in. I know. I'm like, I want this. I, my rosy is it bothers me so much. It's, um, you know, it's not like life altering. Like, like I said, I had acne as a teen, like that very much was like affected how I felt about myself. My rosacea is not at that point, but it is persistent enough and what triggers it are unfortunately things that I do love, including spicy food and coffee. <laughs> so, you know, it's a little bit of a balance there in treating it. Um, so I definitely, my interests are peaked.
1: <laughs> Keep it in your back pocket. Cause unfortunately, you know, as you already probably know, rosacea is genetic and it progresses with age. So it's just a good tool to have in the toolbox, especially as patients get older and maybe it gets more severe. Because like you said, it tends to happen at the worst times, public speaking, um, when you're out and being social, which usually involves warm beverages, spicy food or alcohol or sun if you're on vacation.
0: Yeah. Okay. So uh we went on a little rosacea detour, yeah. <laughs> selfishly for myself. Um, but, you know, you were talking about using uh, Disport Disport off-label, but, you know, is there, what else, you know, piques your interest? Is there, you know, anything else that comes to mind?
1: Well, so while Fraxel Technology is 20 years plus old, um, they came out with a new Clear and Brilliant, um, which has historically been marketed um to patients and physicians is more of a prejuvenation treatment so you know kind of preventing aging but I, you know especially practicing in the bay area where people are busy they kind of don't want to have any downtime. <clears throat> there have been a few older patients who've done the nuclear and brilliant touch in a series of four spaced a month apart whose results i've been pleasantly surprised with um, you know, I historically would have only recommended Fraxel to them and told them that, you know, Clarembroient wasn't going to move the needle much. Um, but they wanted to at least start doing something, even if it wasn't hugely impactful. And then I've been excited by those results. And then I started playing with PRP or platelet-rich plasma for wrinkles around the mouth, what we call peroritids or kind of those lipstick lines. Um, as well as for dark under eye circles, Um, you know, there's been definitely a trend to sort of move away from some of the hyaluronic acid fillers. Um, I do a a lot of Sculptra, which is a collagen stimulator type of filler in my practice. Um, So doing that with or without the platelet-rich plasma, doing the platelet-rich plasma in isolation for, again, the lines around the mouth or the dark under eye circles. Um, because sometimes, you know, under eye fillers, the hyaluronic acid fillers like um, Restylane, which is frankly the only one I use in the under eye, can behave badly in the sense that it's kind of normal for them to like move out from below the muscle where they should be injected to above the muscle. That's just sometimes how they age in certain patients. And then you kind of need to dissolve them every couple years, which again, isn't the end of the world. But for some folks, they just don't ever want to have a treatment that would potentially require dissolving and redoing it so prp platelet-rich plasma is a really great option to help rejuvenate that under eye skin without having to use a a filler
0: i've done prp before and i really enjoyed it i thought it it made my i texture just really incredible and i did it around the eyes as well and um i i really enjoyed it um can you quickly explain it for anybody who may not know
1: So PRP or platelet-rich plasma is what it stands for. was historically used um, in athletes or people um, in kind of the orthopedic community for, you know, healing injuries like in knees and things like that. So it sort of took off in dermatology as um, a treatment potentially for regrowing and thickening hair in a condition called androgenetic alopecia, which is male or female pattern baldness. So you get really dramatic results in about 50% of patients that are treated 80% 80% of patients get some result, but, you know, only 50%, it's so dramatic that they want to continue. Um, and results can sometimes take upwards to a year for hair. But um, PRP or platelet-rich plasma was also starting to be used more recently in the last couple of years for like dark under eye circles, particularly where um, just certain ethnicities are more predisposed even at a young age of having sort of that darker, you know, closer to like the middle of the eye area under the eye. Um, In a series of four PRP injections in that area every month showed dramatic improvement. So then, you know, some some dermatologists, frankly, I just kind of took it upon myself. I'd not really seen it published or at any of the meetings, but started offering it to even some of the fairer skinned fair skinned patients, um, and just really notice a dramatic improvement. And oftentimes, those were the patients who obviously weren't as interested in the hyaluronic acid fillers, which had historically kind of been the mainstay treatment for that area. Um, so now it's nice to feel confident that I've treated enough patients that, you know, you, it really is impactful. And then, obviously, if I'm doing it, other people are catching on and doing it as well, and, you know, finding good results. And then I've not seen someone else do it, you know, hopefully other people are exploring it too, but, um, the lipstick lines around the mouth are just incredibly hard to treat. Um, it's kind of the bane of all cosmetic dermatologists existence. Um, and oftentimes we tell patients CO2 laser, which has like two plus weeks downtime and sometimes persistent redness for a few months after it was kind of the only thing we could do. And then obviously putting fillers there, um, even in the best of hands, can sometimes not always look totally natural. Um, so I, re- I really started exploring with a cannula doing platelet-rich plasma in that area every month for a series of four. So oftentimes along with like a clear and brilliant or microneedling. Um, and it's just been hugely impactful um, in those few subset of patients that I've tried it. So excited to keep treating more and see if, if this really has the potential that I think it does.
0: Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I do know around around the mouth and kind of the laugh lines and lipstick lines. That's everyone says it's you know so so hard to treat and there's just so few options for people to to utilize. So I feel like anytime there's a development in that area in particular, it's like very exciting. So another one, another one to keep in mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the PRP just um, basically we draw your blood. In a special tube, you can't just use any tube. So, um, and then we spin it down and it separates out kind of the red blood cells from the serum that contains, again, the platelet-rich plasma. So it looks kind of like apple juice. And what it contains is growth factors. So growth factors are messages to the body that say, hey, come here and heal this or grow this. Or they kind of communicate with what you can think about as like stem cells to to rejuvenate tissue um, or regrow and thicken hair. Um, so the other analogy I use with patients is think about when you cut yourself, your platelets have to go there and plug the wound so You don't bleed to death. Um, when there's an injury, they get activated and they release what are, again, the growth factors that are the messages that I'd say, Hey, come here and heal this. So heal this cut. It. So we're kind of harnessing that same um, pathway. So it's, it's nice that it's natural. It's your body zone. And I think that's probably, you know, the industry is starting to like move towards more of those kind of um, potential developments where again, it's your body's own stuff. So we're not putting foreign things in because we all saw the, the issues with fillers during the pandemic when people's immune systems overreacted. And again, those were temporary and kind of overblown. Um, I didn't frankly have it as an issue in my practice, luckily, um, not that it didn't happen to other folks, but
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I think, I think people are just more in general excited and intrigued by the body's rejuvenation process as a whole. You know, I think you're seeing that a lot with regenerative medicine. Obviously, you're seeing it in dermatology, Um, and I think people are just like, I think they like the idea that their that their body has the power to heal itself if you know you are given the right tools you know, and, and harnessing technology to be able to do it. And so I think like that just speaks to a lot of people. Um, Certainly, it speaks to me, I, you know, I think all this sort of stuff is fascinating. And I'm like, give me more.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, any good healer, right? Or medicine person should be like empowering you to heal yourself, right? So that's been a little bit of my frustration, I think, with beauty industry, consumerism, it puts you in this helpless position of like never being enough, again, back to the good enough, never being good enough when really any good physician or caretaker um, should be helping to build you up and empower you and give you the tools that you need to take care of yourself, Um, which is, again, like people might look at dermatology as more of like a vanity specialty, but like learning to wash your face is just like the first step in self-care. And it's frankly like a learned skill. how like what's an actionable way to like learn to love yourself. How do you function and be happy in the world if you don't love yourself?
0: No, absolutely. Um, I think that is such a beautiful sentiment. And um, the last section that we talk about is how you take care of yourself. So it's perfect. Perfect segue. You set that up for me. Um, you know, we can certainly start with skincare, but I'm also very curious about how you take care of yourself as a whole. So, you know, any sort of well-being habits that, you know, you tend to stick to, I would love to hear them as well.
1: So, I mean, back to kind of, it's a learned skill and you have to know who to go to to learn that skill. Um, If your mom and dad maybe weren't so strong at, you know, like, frankly, I'll just be honest, my mom and dad weren't so great at like the emotional piece of like self care, you know, they were good at teaching me like how to take care of my body and work out, obviously, as military officers, they had to be fit. But like, kind of the emotional, (laughs) intelligent piece was missing. So I had to like, go and seek out people that could help teach me how to be more emotionally mature and how to carry myself. So mentors in residency, and, um, you know, obviously therapists, like, but how do you weed through the noise? So, like, obviously, I'm in dermatology. Let's speak specifically to the beauty industry. How do you find a good beauty mentor if your mom and dad maybe don't know how um, to take care of their skin or they don't, and you want to live your life differently? Um, you know, seeking out board certified dermatologists, um, you know, who reference reputable sources like the JAD, um, and, you know, um, went to reputable residencies and medical schools, um, you know, and kind of like your vibe attracts your tribe. So finding someone who resonates with you, I think it's just an important life skill to like know who to go to for information. Um, So how I learned to take care of myself. So I mentioned the Hoffman process. So that's been very helpful. Um, And from that, I learned, you know, meditation. So meditation is a huge part of my self-care routine. Sort of Brene Brown talks about You know, the white space in the morning that's so necessary, or just white space whenever you're freshest. So, for me, I'm freshest in the morning. So, that's my time. So, I don't start clinic until 10 o'clock in the morning. And that's because I, you know, I like to get up early and have that fresh time to myself. And so, I get up, I clean my apartment a little bit, I make my coffee, I get some morning movement in because I personally wake up a little anxious and kind of probably have higher cortisol levels. You know, I need to kind of move my body. And then I meditate for at least 20 minutes every day. And my meditation practice has certainly changed over the years. Um, Lately, I've been doing mostly like mindfulness, um, self-compassion, which like Kristen Neff and Chris Germer have a course for that that's eight weeks and pretty phenomenal. I highly recommend. And they're very like actionable ones that you can do when you're in need of something specific. So. If you're feeling angry, if you're feeling tired, you know, they give you specific meditations for that. So I do whatever is kind of resonating at the time and journaling um, just to get feelings out before and after bed and then making sure I practice gratitude. Um, You know, we're very lucky to live here in America with like running water and electricity. Sometimes we forget that, um, especially again in this kind of reality TV, Instagram. Like I just, I mean... Coach bags and Clinique were cool when I grew up. When I grew up, I can't imagine what it's like now to like feel like you need Chanel and a Lamborghini and like these things that are just very unattainable for frankly, anyone. So um, again, just being grateful to have running water and a bed to sleep in and a roof over my head um, to kind of check myself. And um, yeah, I mean, exercise is obviously very important and sleep. My aura ring definitely shames me and keeps me from, you know, eating unhealthy and drinking too much alcohol, um, because it definitely impacts your sleep in a major way, which then impacts everything in my life. I'm somebody who definitely needs eight hours of sleep.
0: Well, that sounds like a pretty good routine to me. Um, I mean, you're such a mind-body green gal.
1: (laughs) That's why I was excited when you asked
0: me to, to join definitely aligned with my everything you just said is like very much like all the things that we recommend so <laughs> I love it
1: well and then the self-compassion is important too because it's like not beating yourself up when like maybe like today all I had time for was five minutes so I just opened my insight timer I did five minutes and that's as good as it was, you know, I got my coffee and walked for 20 minutes. And so it's, it's never as perfect as we all make it sound when you ask us that question. But like, you know, if you wash your face once a day, and that's all you do great.
0: <laughs> well, I loved this episode. And I loved chatting with you. I think that this will hopefully be very helpful to a lot of people. Um, I certainly know that I loved hearing about all of your advice and some exciting new treatments that I may have in my future. (laughs) So thank you so much for taking your time today. You're welcome, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. For more beauty content from the team at MindBuddyGreen, you can always read along with our content at mindbuddygreen.com, follow us on social media, And of course, tune in to next week's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you ever want to reach out with questions or insights or thoughts, you can find me on Instagram at alex underscore blair underscore. Thanks so much for your time.